Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome to the Indie Rugby Podcast Japan 2019 in association with Tudor Watch, the official timekeepers of the Rugby World Cup. I'm Jack Demonazes and I'm joined once again by Duncan Beck, the England Rugby Union correspondent of the Press Association. Hello Duncan. Hello. We'll also be catching up with my colleague Samuel Lovett in tomorrow's episode, once he's combated his jet lag after arriving in Tokyo today, where the All Blacks and Springboks are preparing for Saturday's match that promises to be one of the best games of the pool stage. However, on today's episode though, we're going to discuss the impact of foreign-born players and whether the ability to cross borders with ease in representing international teams of your own choice is harming the game. But first, we should probably talk a little bit about England, given that both myself and Duncan are covering them this World Cup. We're again sitting in the team hotel lobby where it's impossible not to see a player every hour of the day. Although saying that, we're actually yet to see any rugby at all after being shown their gym sessions two days running. Make of that what you will. Last night, though, England had their official welcome ceremony inside the Miyazaki City Hall. And I think it was quite the occasion, wasn't it, Duncan? Yeah, it was a, it was a good event. We saw, um, we saw these, uh, it was a traditional Japanese drumming session. Um, and that, t- that lasted 10 minutes. And you had this, this, uh, this rather muscular Japanese guy hammering this big drum with these two big clubs, uh, making a lot of noise. It was very impressive. And he had two assistants, a girl on each side of him. Um, and the players were very interested in that. It, the actual event was a bit low-key. We were surprised at just how, how small it was. It was a capping ceremony. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was interesting. And it was, not a huge amount has actually happened since we've been here. So it was good to see something like that. You got the impression that the, uh, the players really appreciated what was going on and almost respected the drummer for his athletic ability given he was going for quite some time yeah absolutely i mean he was yeah he was hammering away at that drum he, he was covered in sweat by the end of it but he looked like he could keep on going um yeah it was very impressive and maro toje started off his speech with a little bit of japanese and i guess it just shows again they're buying into this japanese culture and understanding of the country they're in which is quite nice to see yeah he, he certainly made a good stab at it um a few of the a few of the players were giggling as, as he <laughs> as he gave his speech, and then when he returned back to his seat, but uh, it was pretty good. It was an interesting uh, event, of course. Had Billy got up on stage, he had to paint the eye of, of a good luck doll. Yeah, I think um, they call it the rumor doll or Daruma, something that's like right, that. Yeah, the Daruma doll. And he was asked to make a wish, and his wish was that the uh, the squad would make memories that would last with them forever. So. So I guess that means uh, yeah. to win the World Cup. Without indirecting, yeah. they've said that. Yeah. Um, and then while, while we were covering that, I think Wales were just up the island on Kyushu. They've had more than 15,000 fans turn up at their training session. Not a match, not a meet and greet session, a training session. And it actually got delayed so they could get all of them inside the stadium. It was just incredible scenes. And then to have them singing the national anthem. Have you ever seen anything like that at a World Cup, regardless of where it is? No, never. I don't think any team in rugby has ever had 15,000 fans turn up to an open open training session. I mean, Wales have been doing a lot of work behind the scenes um, to, to generate local support. 
Um, they, I think they started about 18 months ago, give, giving away jerseys, letting everyone know they're going to be here. They play, I think, two of their pool games here, so that, and potentially their quarterfinal. If they get to the quarterfinals, which they should do, that'd be a noiter. So they put a lot of work into trying to generate support and interest in the area. And that, that their build-up has been sort of contrast with England, which has been quite low-key. We've been in a quieter part of the island in Miyazaki. Not a huge amount going on. Beautiful scenery, but not a huge amount going on. Um, and I think this is exactly how Eddie Jones wants it, letting England just quietly do their thing whilst Wales are getting attention for these big crowds, etc. And in terms of Miyazaki itself, it's a rather unusual place. I mean, we spoke with Eddie Jones in the week and he says it's the ideal place for World Cup preparation. It's got a nice blend of being isolated enough to crack on with what they're doing. But then also enough around here to keep them entertained. Things like golf, there's the tennis academy next door and they've been down to the beach for a bit of a splash. Um, There's a few hidden treasures along the way, but what what have you made of it? It's a bit of an odd place, I think. Yeah, one of our media colleagues described it as the Penny Hill Park of of Japan, and I think that's not a, that's quite an accurate description in some ways. With, with a better climate, obviously, because it's nice and it's nice and warm. The temperatures died down a bit this, these last few days, and it's been a lot more bearable, and the humidity has dropped as well. But it's quiet. It's a quiet, tucked away sort of spot. Um, like I said, it's what the players can can mill around and, and do their thing without fear of being sort of uh, harassed or, or photographed. Um, th- but there's not a huge amount to do. The, the nearest beach isn't isn't particularly great. There's a fantastic golf course nearby, which some, some of the players have been using. Um, but if you don't play golf, so that, that's not much use, obviously. Or, or win the lottery to pay or, the hefty yeah. green fees. <laughs> <laughs> so it's about two hundred pounds a round, I think, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I saw, and won't be paying that. Yeah. Trust me. Yeah, but um, generally, there's not a huge amount to do. But it's just, it's a, just a nice, it's just a nice, pleasant place to be. Uh, good good facilities here. We've been in the gym every day. We've been going for some lovely walks through uh, through these uh, this sort of local pine uh, forest type place, and yeah, it's nice. It's a nice landscape, nice easy place to be. Um, you can see why Eddie brought England here. And looking a bit closer at the squad, um, there's a couple of concerns there, isn't there? It's emerged during the week that neither Joe Fokinasiga or Mark Wilson have trained fully yet. Um, and we already know that Mako Vinopola and Jack Knoll will not play in both of the opening two games against Tonga in the United States. Um, we, we spoke to Scott Wisemantle this morning and thankfully he said that any issues around Anthony Watson, who we saw in the gym with kind of having a little bit of treatment to his ankle, that there's no concern there, no worries, and that both Wilson and Falkenstein still remain in contention for selection. So... How do you think England are shaping up ahead of that game? What, what do you think that they're going to be looking to build? Because there's, I think, a couple of players that might have to double up and potentially start both games. Yeah, Eddie's selection strategy for these first two matches is really interesting. We know very little about it at, at this stage. Um, as you said, there's, there's only two players who have been definitively ruled out in, in Jack Nell and Mako. But Joe Cockensega and uh, Mark Wilson look look like they might struggle they're struggling with knee injuries and they, they could miss out other than that they, they say everybody's fit we, we're not so sure um, they, they talk about bumps and bruises we don't really know exactly the extent of, of what injuries they have but I mean it's a short turnaround they've got two teams they have to play two teams in, in four days who knows which way Eddie's going to go I mean I, I think the best policy would be to, to name the strongest team to face Tonga and then was it 12, 13 days later that team against Argentina 
but um, and then play a sort of weakened team against or, or sort of use more the fringe players mm. against the USA but I mean Eddie said he no longer has a, a strongest team no, he'll, he'll just pick the best team for that day so it will be fascinating to find out exactly how it goes but th- this is my, my biggest comment we kind of touched on this last time in the last week's podcast it's just about the number of injured players in the squad is taking two players taking Jack Now taking um, Mako who haven't played in any of the warm-up games this is where it could start to place a burden on the other players in the squad and some positions will be quite heavily worked so uh, this is where I think it could come to sort of uh, trouble them a little bit yeah one, one thing I tried to do this afternoon is pick the squads for those two yeah. two games yeah. you know almost to try and second guess what Eddie Jones is going to do which we know we probably shouldn't ever do because you never know he's so unpredictable but I think I, I went with uh, a back row of Tom Curry, Sam Underhill, Billy Van Apollo, and I think that's England's strongest back three that in the pack. However, if you lose uh, Mark Wilson, then suddenly you've only got Lewis Ludlam there as cover potentially for number eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you have to then consider, right, does Courtney Laws have to cover the back row? And so does Mauro Toje and George Cruz start at lock, and Joe Launchby will be the second row cover on the bench. And then if you take Pockner Seeger out of the, the back three, then suddenly you've already lost Noel. You're down to four of the, the back three options that they've brought. They've brought six out here. So regardless, Rory McConaughey is probably going to be involved in the squad somewhere, having played, what, 50 minutes of international mm. rugby. And you're then selling Johnny May, Anthony Watson, Elliot Daly. You're probably going to start. But then if Pockner Seeger doesn't recover, we know Jack Noel's out, then... Do those three go again? Does McConaughey come in? Does Jonathan Joseph, an outside centre, have to play on the wing? Has to cover the wing, maybe? So I think those two injuries are, could have a real big effect on the team selection for both games. Yeah, definitely. And you've, you've also got uh, outside centre. You've got uh, Henry Slade, who didn't play during the, during the warm-ups, and Jonathan Joseph. Now, both of those who did play a part, but missed, I think it was the last two games. Yeah. Um, that's a bit of pressure there on outside centre. Now they say both of them fit, both of them back in full training, but um, it's another area where you'd be a little bit concerned. So you've got outside centre, you've got back row, you talked about back three. So you could argue it's a bit too much going on there injury-wise at the moment. Well, that's the end of part one. Join us after the break where we'll talk about the controversy surrounding foreign-born players and whether world rugby needs to make a further crackdown. 
For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Welcome back to the Indie Rugby Podcast Japan 2019 in association with Tudor Watch, the official timekeepers of the Rugby World Cup. In this segment of the pod, we're going to take a closer look at how players are being able to choose which country they play for. Using this England squad as an example, Duncan, we've got Willie Hines here, who was born in New Zealand but qualifies for England for his grandmother, and Manu Tuolangi, Joe Fokkensiga and the Vunipola brothers, who all qualify on residency, having been here as young children. We also had Brad Shields in the team recently, again through an English grandparent, and Ben Teo, who I guess is one of the more extreme cases, as he was able to move to England with the sole aim of playing for them, as opposed to those others who we listed who were here from a young age. The debate has risen again, mainly because of Joe Schmidt's selection of John Klain in the Ireland squad, at the expense of Devon Toner, who actually played more games for Schmidt than any other lock throughout his reign. And also the project player system that the IRFU has enforced over the last few years. But it's also because of Danny Kerr's comments that uh, he feels there's no loyalty to players who come through the system within the country, as opposed to those who come from outside it, like Heinz, and that they also seem to get an easier route than some players who work a bit harder. Now, before we discuss that, I asked Willie Hines about this this week in his press conference, and here's what he said. I just wanted to ask um, whether you'd seen the, the comments from Danny Kerr, who's been quite outspoken this week, uh, about not you in particular, but players from abroad, and to quote him, that haven't been in the system, then getting selected ahead of players that have been in the system. Does it get a bit annoying that you constantly have to defend yourself if your allegiance to your team? Um, I haven't seen everything. I've sort of heard a little, little bits and pieces about it. Look, at the end of the day, um, do I feel like I have to defend myself um, to the team, no, because no one, no one in the team's asking questions of me around around that side of things. And at the end of the day, um, the rules are the rules. I, all I can say is that um, I'm really, really excited to be here. I really, um, I feel really, really privileged and, re- and really honoured to to represent England. Um, and um, you know, I'm I'm just excited about contributing as much as I can to the team. Um, in, in whatever way that is going forward and um, yeah, all I can say is that my absolute commitment is, is with England. So that's a, a very sensible and reserved answer from uh, Willie there, but the reaction I got on social media was a lot of fans who actually agree with care. So Duncan, what's your view on what is pretty much a very difficult and sensitive subject? Yeah, very sensitive, um, very heated, is producing a lot of debate. It has done for a while seems to is, is not going away um, with the recent Devon Toner situation and, the, and Klein getting that, that place in the Ireland squad ahead of him that's really stirred things up there in Ireland um, it, it's a difficult sometimes from an England perspective I think the, the player you'd have possibly most uh, object, objection to was Ben Teo who of course was pictured in an in a Ireland jersey before declaring for England um, I think it's capped by Samoa at Rugby League. Um, he, he, he always felt that it was a, a financial decision with him rather than any real sort of loyalty whatsoever. Um, then other guys, I mean, so on the, on the situation where you've got, for example, uh, Brad Shields, 
you've got Willie Hines who, who qualify for on family grounds or for family reasons, family descent. They, I don't, you, obviously, that's rule. There's, there's nothing that can be done about it. In Brad Shields' situation, I think the dis, the disgruntlement, the opposition to it, was because he was fast tracked in, having just played Super Rugby um, for the Hurricanes. And he, he had to go back to Super Rugby, didn't he? he? Yeah. He went on the tour to South Africa last year, then went back to finish his career with the Hurricanes as they, they tried to get to the Super Rugby final. And by that point, he'd already won caps before he moved to England. Yes. So, so he, he'd, he'd, been, he'd played for England before he played for Wasps. Um, it was just this determination to, to, to get a player with Super Rugby experience and shoehorn him into the England team. And it came at the expense of Chris Robshaw, who who's been a good, good player for England uh, not you know he's not the game's most outstanding blindside but he's been very, very good for England well over 50 caps hard working gets huge numbers huge stats tackle counts always high uh, Brad Shields is a very similar sort of player and they brought him in they really liked his leadership they talked a lot about his leadership uh, he's captain of the Hurricanes um, but when he played you know the, we would see him playing for England we'd see him playing for Watson and just think you know he's a clearly a top player he's a very good player but he's not an international player so we just struggle to to see why he's been why he was picked um, over and over again in most England squads and, and until this World Cup squad was announced where he you know he isn't there and that was a surprise to everyone really because he just you got this impression that the management were going to take him come what may um, so that, that would be the difficult one so you sort of kind of push aside a, a player who's done very well for England um, and fast-tracked in someone from New Zealand who hadn't even played in the Premiership, uh, basically on the grounds that he is from New Zealand and therefore he must be very good. There doesn't seem to be much more to it than that. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think that would be one of the issues. And then with Willie Hines, again, it's perfectly legitimate. His qualification, I think, it comes through uh, his grandmother. Um, that, but that he, did, he didn't know about, did he, until someone told him? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And now he's, and now he's England's second scrum half if England gets a final he'll be there on the bench uh, he, he's come from from nowhere really so you can see why someone like Danny Kerr is upset I mean if if a, if a player from overseas is clearly very very good is outstanding um, then, then, then get him into a team but if he doesn't offer a huge amount more than what you've got already and this guy's come through the system I think you should stick with the the guy who's come from the system and has played in the premiership and is born, born in England or, or raised in England that, that would be my take on it I mean, you know, if you look at the, the cricket, Joffre Archer, there was a, a very, very good player. Of course, you're going to pick him for England when he, when he becomes available. Um, Brad Shields, Willie Hines aren't off that Ilk. standard. Yeah. yeah. So I guess that then forced us to take a look at World Rugby's regulation. That a few years ago, they announced that the time frame to qualify on residency grounds will increase from three to five years and that happens on 1st of January 2020 so this will be the last tournament in which we have those three-year players but do you think that's enough um when I was having a look through it one issue that kind of came to my mind very quickly was that unions can just now look deeper into their system so whereas they currently pinpoint weaknesses in their squad as Ireland did and go after that right we've got a, a lack of number eights coming through and Jamie he slips on his way out what they did they targeted that area they brought a lot of flankers and a lot of number eights over from South Africa 
and now CJ Standers in the squad. There's a few more others in the, the pipeline. I think Chris Clotter at Munster, mm-hmm. he qualifies before the end of the year, so he will be on that three-year rule and eligible to play for Ireland for the Six Nations next year. So now surely unions are then going to go, right, let's look at the under-18s and where are our, our weaknesses in the under-18s? And they're going to target younger players, offer them money that, as an 18-year-old, you're going to go, absolutely, I'll come over for that. And by the age of 23, they're able to play for that country on residential grounds and you could get possibly two World Cup cycles out of them. I just think it exasperates the issue a little bit more and maybe something else needs to be done. Do you, do you see that being an issue down the line? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's quite cynical, isn't it? The uh, the way that targeted positions are targeted and the way teams have gone. I mean, it's been, it's been going on for a while, but it seems to have proliferated in, in more recent times. And I, I remember a couple of... Um, I think it's two or three years ago, France uh, France played Australia in Paris, and all four wingers were Fijian, um, which just shows, I mean, A, how outstanding Fijians are on those sort of positions, but also how, how ruthlessly other bigger teams have sort of plundered their talent and uh, to, to, to fill holes in their own side. It, may, it does, it sits uneasy, it makes a bit of a mockery of the, of the international game sometimes. And I remember seeing a list recently, England played Tonga, obviously, on Sunday, their first World Cup game in Sapporo and I remember seeing a list recently of the number of Tongan players who could be playing for Tonga uh, who have been taken by other other top teams and um, it's, it's it's quite it's quite sad because these nations give so much to the game they're so naturally brilliant at rugby for, you know largely because of their physical prowess but they also have this natural uh, flair for the game um, if they're un- continually unable to field strong teams because bigger sides are, are, plund- are taking their, their, their best players it leaves a bit of bad taste in the mouth and sort of undermines the sort of concept of the World Cup in a way Yeah and I guess one major issue that could come of this if you're able to pick and choose your players is that you could end up with rich individuals su- such as the club owners of today, your, your Bruce Craigs your Murads and then you, you could just say right I'm going to start giving people lucrative deals, I'm going to take over the national team something not too dissimilar to what we're seeing with all this CDC money coming in suddenly if you've got that backing there, there, there are people out there that could potentially take over the national team and I, I think world rugby would certainly see this move as a threat uh, I think the unions possibly will you, you could have some sort of breakaway in the not too distant future I mean I'm talking about a extreme scenario but is this something you could see start to get legs, especially the way that rugby union has developed, particularly in the last 12 months with this new investment coming in? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure that could happen, although there's a lot of money in some of these uh, club owners. Um, I do think that rugby union is always has always been about the international game, um, and I don't think club rugby will ever, will ever challenge it. I mean, they'll like to, they'd want to, um, and they're certainly making a bit of a power grab sometimes. I mean, the Premiership taking on this CVC money. Um, I remember one one club, prominent club owner, telling me earlier on in the year that by I think it's 2021 or 2022, he expects club rugby to be bigger than than international rugby. I think that's overly overly ambitious, but. Um, because of the way rugby's weighted towards the international game, I just can't see that happening. Well, that's all for today's episode of the Indie Rugby Podcast. Join us again tomorrow where I'll be speaking to Samuel Lovett in Tokyo as we tick down the days towards the start of the Rugby World Cup. 
Well, I'll also be joining the England team in travelling to Sapporo, where they'll prepare for their first game against Tonga on Sunday. Remember to subscribe to this series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you listen for all the latest from the competition. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.